we did our AGM last week and we looked a little bit uh, about the future. And I just wanted to follow up because um, I read through all of the kind of comments that people had written in their small groups. So last week what we did is we split people into smaller groups to kind of ask the question if the church leadership had three and a half years left and then they were going, nobody to replace them, what would we need to do as a church? And that came out of the fact that that's what Jesus did. And so here are some of the things that people wrote. I've kind of taken the, the majority headlines of what came through. And so folks said, we need to give and create more opportunities. Yeah. Hey, men's breakfast. Oh, good. Sorry. So we have more opportunities to do stuff. And we're doing that. You'll notice breaking of bread, for instance, I'm asking a whole different load of people to lead that each month. Yeah because we want to allow people just to operate in gift. The second one was develop gifts and release gifts. It's really important. One of, one of the reasons we made Sunday morning a believer service, we changed it. You know, it used to be what we would call um, a seeker-sensitive service so that people coming in would find it comfortable. Last uh, May, we changed that for it to be a believer service because we recognised we need a service where believers can gather together, exercise their spiritual gifts uh, and grow in that. The interesting thing is, since we've done that, we've had more visitors to the church than at the time before. And so I think there is something about God being more present in our meetings. Share responsibilities was another one. Hey, I'm all up for that. We, we, we want to share what we are doing so that more and more people are involved. I was talking to a leader this week and he said one of the things they've recognised over the years about one-man leadership is the bigger it gets, the higher the leader goes, and at some point it just topples and falls. And he says, before you go higher, you've got to go broader at the base. What does that mean? That means we need more people involved. It can't just be about a few people. One of the things that really blessed me this year was that when uh, both Joss and I had COVID over our baptismal service, the church just went on and did it. And that, to me, is a great encouragement. For me, the greatest success is that I can be away and everything functions as it needs to function. It's not about dependence on a few. It's about all of us being engaged. Then we said about growing leaders and identifying leaders. We're already in the process of doing that. But there's a really big challenge for me in how I use my time because I really feel a large portion of that needs to be in growing people. You know, the responsibility of leadership is to grow other people into their gifting and call. Then we had uh, questions around discipling, that we need to disciple one another. I'll mention that more a bit later. More about prayer. And not just terms of just having prayer meetings, but having meetings where there is an empowerment from God. If you read through the book of Acts, they would have prayer meetings and then it says the place was shaken. Why? There was an empowerment from God that came. There's nothing more deadly than prayer meetings where you come out of it drained. They shouldn't be like that, you know. There should be something of an empowerment of the Holy Spirit that comes through. More fellowship, again. 
You know, these are things that it would be great to see more people say, let's do. You know, I wasn't here, but the, for the baptismal service, everybody said the food and stuff was superb. Let's do more of those things. But we need people to say, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, there is stuff we could do on the field. There are so many things we can do, but it needs people to say, you know what, I'm good at doing that. And, we, and we've recognised, you know, over the years, that there's, we're not a, a cookie-cutter church. What does that mean? There is no way God expects all of us to do the same thing. Now, that might seem odd. There are some people who are gifted to stand on the platform and do platform stuff. There are other people who are gifted in hospitality. There are other people who are gifted in prayer. There are different gifts that God gives. No one has any higher value than anybody else, but we need that multitude of giftedness. I remember uh, when I was in India, we had a woman who had this gift of hospitality and it was phenomenal. Every time you went to her house, man, I mean, you went back kind of, you know, 10 stone heavier, um, but she knew how to welcome and how to make people feel comfortable. And it's working out some of those things. And if you've got those gifts, then let's use those gifts and put some things on. Uh, be open to change came through as well. That's a really big challenge. Sometimes what we don't like that changes in church is nothing more than our church tradition rather than a biblical thing, if that makes sense. Because we often don't like it. You know, if we get used to sitting in the same seat and somebody comes and sits in that seat, you'd be amazed how people get upset. And that's not a theological thing. That is just a church tradition thing. I was talking to somebody where the church were up in arms because they had changed the direction of the seating. And we don't want to be like that. We want to be open for what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Next one was supporting one another. This is really crucial. I'll mention that more later. And there's a couple of things in supporting one another. One is pastoral care. And I'm going to throw this out again. You'll hear me mention it a number of times. We need a pastoral care team. What does that mean? That is a team of people who are able to call those who are ill, who are able to visit those that want visiting, who are able to make sure those who are alone, those who are housebound, those who are unwell, that they are all properly cared for. Now, there are some of you here who have a gift in that. You've got a gift in talking to people and encouraging. I remember when I came, because I fo followed in the footsteps of a very great pastoral gift. And I remember the first time I came, I thought, right. I'm going to do what he does, so I'm going to call folks up and say, I'm going to come and visit. So I called up this couple to visit, and the very next thing, I get a call from one of the elders saying, oh, this couple said you're coming to visit. They asked if I could come. They're a bit scared. So I thought, okay, I don't carry that gift. Yeah, I know I'm a pastor, but my pastoral gift is in terms of leadership, it is not that I will make people feel comfortable when I visit. Nine times out of ten, I don't do that. So we need people who do do that. And, and, and they're sitting here, and it will bring you fulfillment in doing that. 
It is a really valuable gift that we need in the church. Um, involving children more, that's another one. It's really good to see Natalie went through the other week to do some stuff with worship with the kids, and we'll see that coming through into here. I want to see the children far more engaged in what we're doing. It's great to see them waving the flags, but wouldn't it be good to see them praying for people, to operating in spiritual gifts? We need to encourage that. Amen. I love it when I see those kids involved. Some simple things, I'm mentioning this because it's just a really simple thing. Somebody said, notice boards to share what is needed. I thought, you know what, that's actually a good thing. We want to share more in what we're doing. Some of it will cause a bit of challenge because I want to use technology more. The reason I want to use technology more is something like email is the easiest way of keeping everybody up to date. Yeah? Text messaging is a disaster, let me tell you. If you've ever tried to manage 100 people through text messages, it is a real nightmare. And it's a nightmare for a number of reasons. One, it's not secure. And two, trying to do groups and making sure it gets through. And nowadays, text messaging doesn't work. We can't use things like WhatsApp for the simple reason that it requires proper GDPR. You remember GDPR that came in in 2018? GDPR means that we have to have permission from every individual wherever we put their data. And when you use something like WhatsApp, because you're uploading their contact details onto WhatsApp, you need to get permission, you've got to keep that going, it becomes a nightmare. The easiest thing is email. And I would hazard a guess, apart from a few, most people would have an email address. And so we are looking, we did it through COVID, but we just want to sharpen that up, that we create an email list where we can weekly send out what's going on, what's happening, what's needed, and then people can have a read through and think through, and I think that would be really helpful. We'll do some stuff on notice boards as well, but we will try and push that out that way. For those who don't have email, we will make sure that you get that information as well, but it's much easier when it's a handful of people you're doing it with than when it's 100 people. Does that make sense? Uh, and then multi-generational involvement. What do we mean by multi-generational involvement? Our world is not good, pardon me, our world is not good in involving different generations in things that we do. And the Bible has a really simple principle that older people should be helping younger people in stuff. And so... You know, we really want to bring in a multi-generational thing where we are working together with all generations and we are learning together. There is so much, you know, those of you who are over 70, let me tell you, there is so much life experience and wisdom that you carry that you need to pass on, that you need to help people with. I know sometimes people don't want to listen, but actually... You know, to have got where you are, you have learned stuff. I'm amazed with children, how they listen to you until they hit 13. Then they think you know absolutely nothing. And then they get married and think, man, mum and dad, how did you gain so much wisdom in so much short time? And I say, actually, we didn't. It's always there. It's just you weren't too keen on it. And so, 
you know, we need to operate within that. And so I kind of get excited in the idea of what church should be. And the key thing on all of this is ownership. This is not my church. Let me tell you, this church is not my church. It is our church. We said it, I think, when we um, went into lockdown, the church is the people, not the building. This building does not matter in terms of the church. What matters is us as the people of God. We are the church together. And the challenge for us is to say, how do we build that together? And it is a challenge because we're all busy. Yep. If you work in education, you're not only working kind of nine to five, you're also working in the evening and you're working at weekends because lesson plans and all those things change. If you're working in care, you're doing shift work, you're doing all hours. Just about every job that is going now is harder than it has ever been because they've cut down the workforce and they expect a smaller amount of people to give more and more. And that is a, a really difficult thing. So I appreciate that. And I appreciate that in terms of church, that all engagement in church is a volunteer base. And I really appreciate every one of you who volunteers from cleaning and, and putting the chairs out and, and in part of clubs and groups and stuff. I really appreciate everything that you do because you're doing it all on a volunteer base. And I think that's amazing. And what that means is we need to be smarter about what we do. And why I'm talking about smarter it means we can't afford to have lots of meetings that just drain people. We've done that. I remember people saying that, you know, when we came up out of COVID and I had a conversation with a few people said, what do you think we should do? They said, I don't want to go back in the busyness that we had pre-COVID. And we've not done that. Um, but we do need to have what I would call value added things that we do. What do I mean by value added? I mean, we need gatherings where people think that was a real benefit. Yeah. So small groups, let me tell you, small groups are really important. And the reason small groups are important is that in a church meeting like this, you don't really get to know anybody. You will come in, you'll say hi to a few people, you have a bit of a conversation, but you're not doing life with anyone. And you would be amazed at how many people still feel lonely, even, because, even though they go to church, because there's no real engagement. And so that means we need small groups. We need smaller groups that is manageable. Yeah. So people can say, you know what? Each week, if I meet with three or four other people, that's, that's all I need to do. They will encourage me, they will strengthen me, they will help me to grow, we'll do discipleship together, we'll pray with one another. That to me is one of the most crucial things we can do because if we ever hit the time when the church has to close because of the way the world is going, then those groups are going to be lifelines for people. And so I want you to think about that. We already have some small groups on the go. If you want to be a part of one, text me, email me, talk to me, and I'll start to create a list and we'll try and build them together. Um, I would like, like groups to go with people who want to be together, but I'm also aware that geographically sometimes that doesn't work. And there's always the case, I know it's not ideal, but for doing something like Zoom groups. 
You know, one of the benefits that's come out of Zoom groups is that they have zero commuting kind of time that it takes. You know, let's say you go and meet with somebody for an hour, but it takes you 20 minutes to get there and 20 minutes to get back. That's two hours gone. And so all of those things are things that we are thinking about. And if you have any ideas or any input, please say to us. Please email or talk to us because we want to help grow something that is strong for us to be together. So lots of things that we can do there. I'm also really up for us doing some evenings, maybe a Sunday evening, where we help people just to learn some skills. So one of the, let me just give you an example with that. When we do a Sunday, we have people who lead the worship, but we also have somebody who's responsible for leading the service, and the two are not the same. The reason the two are not the same is that when you are leading the service, you've got to be spiritually open to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. You may not see it, but the stuff we do on a Sunday very often is not the stuff that I have planned, but it's stuff that I perceive the Holy Spirit wants us to do, where we stop and we pray with someone, or where we have a time of silence, or where we do something different. Sometimes we might have a Sunday where there's no preaching. And that requires learning some skill. It's very easy to be a compare. So you have your list, okay, um, Natalie's going to do the worship. Natalie, do the worship, you know. Now doing the offering, let's do the offering. But we need something that has some spiritual dynamic about it. And we recognise that when we get together on a Sunday, we are waiting for the Holy Spirit to work. And so what I'm sharing this morning is not what I prepared this week. It's what God gave me at four this morning when he was speaking to me. And so we're trying to be open to that, but people need an opportunity to learn that. I'd love to do some Sunday evenings where we learn some stuff about spiritual gifts, but that might come on a Sunday morning as well, going through 1 Corinthians, where people get an opportunity to operate in a gift. I honestly believe each one of you has a spiritual gift. But I would also say quite often... What the Holy Spirit says to us, we dismiss, not because we, we don't want to do it, but we don't think it's anything. You know, the prophetic, for an example, it just seems, oh, that just seems normal, but to other people it's not, because it's how the gift works. So lots of things that I think God wants to do there within that. Two things that I want to share within it that come out of numbers. So as a family, we're in the book of numbers uh, and Numbers 13, Numbers is a really heavy going book. Um, just because lots of people die, uh, there's lots of stuff that people have to do in terms of uh, fulfilling God's requirements, animal sacrifices and um, sprinkling water and blood. I tell you, to have been a priest in the temple um, as an Israelite, you were akin to a butcher. I mean, I, I just can't imagine. I am so glad that I'm not doing that. Can you imagine? You have to kill a bull and then you have to get his kidneys out and then you've got to put that on the fire and then you've got to pull out all the entrails and burn them there. You've got to pour out the blood and then you've got to get the blood and then you've got to sprinkle this person with blood and then you've got to burn all of that. Can you imagine doing that every single day? 
And do you know why they did it every single day? It's because people sinned every day. Man alive, can you imagine at the end of that? You wouldn't have been a good vegetarian, that's for sure. So, a couple of things that I really felt God saying that is attached to all of this coming out numbers. And this is, if you've got your Bible, Numbers 13, and I'm going to read just a couple of verses from that. So, the first one is Numbers 13, verse 30. Now, Numbers 13 is when the Israelites sent out 12 leaders to spy out the land that God had given them. And they came back, and apart from two of them, they spread a, they spread a bad report. You remember that story? If you don't, you, you'll, you'll gather a bit as we go. So God sent them out, saying, I'm giving you this land. They went out there, they said, the land is amazing, but we're going to die, so we don't want to go. Only two guys said, if God's given it to us, then we can do it. And so here is verse 30. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession for the land, sorry, take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack these people, they are stronger than we are, and they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. And so two guys says, God said it, we can do it. The others were looking at it in terms of human ability and said, we can't do this. We're going we're gonna to die. And then when we go down um, to verse, to Numbers 14 and verse 6 to 8, it kind of uh, comes to a head here. It says, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, these were the two leaders who said, we can do it who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, um, sorry, if the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, um, that, and that he will give it to us. What am I saying there? I actually believe that God has a great future for Hope Church. I really do. I think God wants us to understand that we can um, scale mountains, we can conquer things. We are a great army together as the people of God. The challenge is that it depends how we look at it. If we look at it in terms of faith, that God has called us, God has equipped us, God has placed us here, we can do it. No matter how impossible it seems, God can do it, then we'll see God do it. But if we allow fear to enter in, then we'll say it's impossible. And the Israelites were faced with that. They were faced with this fact, will you believe God or will you allow fear to hit you. And I want to lay that challenge to you this morning because I want you to, to grab a hold of the fact that all of you are great men and women of God. Because our greatness is not to do with our ability, our greatness is to do with the greatness of God. 
the Israelites, when they conquered all the other nations, they didn't conquer because they were better. They conquered because God made them win. Now that means we're all the same. It doesn't matter what we're doing. If God is supplying the power to do it, it doesn't matter whether we're preaching, it doesn't matter whether we're doing a small group, whether in pastoral care, none of it matters because it's the grace of God and it's dependent on faith. Ephesians 2 verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And then it says, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Uh, and I want you to grab a hold of that God wants to pour out into you that you can do things you never thought you could do. I said this in the last 12 years, if you would have seen me at school, there is no way I would ever be a public speaker or a leader. I am one of the most reluctant leaders that I know because I don't want to do it. Why do I not want to do it? Because it's stress, it's hard work, it's difficult. Why am I doing it? Because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And the fact that I know that I can't do it makes me wake up every morning saying, Lord, I need grace this morning to do today well. Because yesterday's grace is gone and I need more grace. And the scripture talks about we move from grace to grace. Where we land into hot water is where we think we can do it. And you know what? The very first thing that Joshua learned when he replaced Moses as the leader of the Israelites is they thought, we can do this. And they went and attacked and they lost because they had not asked God about it. And so what I'm trying to say here this morning is if we continue to trust God, if we say, Lord, it's your grace, it's your empowering that I need. What we will find is God will supply. And it means our knees knock together. It means we chatter a bit with our teeth and go, oh no. Uh, you know, I know I've asked some of you guys to lead the breaking of bread and I know it freaks you out. But let me tell you, God will supply. You trust in God and he will do it. I still remember to this day the first time I was asked to preach and I went through it in a daze because I was standing like this and all I could do was see my notices. I didn't want to look at anybody. You know. But over time, you learn to trust God. You learn to, to rest in the grace that he comes. And the thing, the thing that I love about it, even though I've been doing this for 30 years, I still have no confidence in it, but I have complete confidence that every week God will give me the right thing to preach. Because if I didn't have that, I would have run dry many years ago. And I want to say to you today, you can look at it with faith or you can look at it with fear. And I want to say to you, look at it with faith. Because you can do it. And I know you'll be sitting there, oh no, I can't, I can't, no, 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 I can't. Let me, you can, you can do it. You can do it. Second scripture, actually there's two. One comes out of 2 Peter. Um, 2 Peter chapter 1, all the way towards the end of your New Testament. Two Peter one verse three to four says this: 
His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, that's his promises, uh, sorry, through his divine power, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desire. So what's he saying? He's saying this. There is available to you divine power. Think about that. You have, as a believer, every right to expect God's divine power to flow through you. You don't need to feel it. You don't need to perform so it happens. You just need to trust in faith and look for the supply of grace. Over the years, I've prayed a lot of people for healing. And every time I have to pray for people for healing, my heart starts to go, you know, I look at my heart because it can measure my heart rate and it kind of goes boom, 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 boom. I'm thinking, oh man, oh man. And God said, it's not about you, Simon. It's about me doing it. And, and that's the beauty of all of it. I, I've seen people healed of cancer. I've, you know, I've prayed for people. Some haven't been healed. I've prayed for a lot of people who have been healed. But it's nothing to do with me. It's to do with trusting in God. His divine power. Not our power. His divine power. And out of our prayer and fasting... I'm not going to say too much in there, but one of the real key things that came out of prayer and fasting is unless the Lord builds the house, the labour is labour in vain. Unless God does it, we can't do it. I mean, let's be honest. If as a church, we rely on our human ability to grow this church, we may grow it, but it will not be God's church. But if we trust God, and, and every single man of God in history and woman of God in history that we look at, that we think they did amazing things, they were dyslexic, they were illiterate, they were poor. The only thing that set them apart is they said, if God has said it, I'm going to believe him and take him at his word. That's all it takes. So you can do amazing, amazing things. Philippians 4 verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Hold on a minute. Did you know, I've said this before, the Greek word for the word all means all. Why am I saying that? Because often we say it means all except where it comes to me. So if it says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, if Christ says to you, I want you to do some pastoral visiting thing, oh, I can't do this. Oh, hold on a minute. Does that all not apply to that? I want you to preach. Oh, I can't do this. What? Well, does the all not apply to that? My Bible says it applies to all. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. That means witnessing to your neighbours. That means kicking the demon out of your family, kicking the devil out of your neighbourhood. You can do all of those things. Why? Because your strength comes from Christ and he's proven that he can do it. And in that same chapter, verse 19, he says, And my God 
will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And so where you get nervous and say, I can't do this, God says, hey, let me just inject you with what you need. And so really I want to encourage you this morning that we can do all things. There is nothing that we cannot do as the people of God. Whether we're a child or whether we're over 80, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Where we hit the barrier is whose report will we believe? Will we believe what we see with our eyes or will we believe what Christ has said through the scriptures in his word? And I want to leave, I'm going to pray in a moment, we're going to finish. You know, I want to leave that with you this morning because I want you to be able to grasp just how amazing you are. You are amazing people. And Jesus makes you amazing. And Jesus has given his spirit whom he has placed in you and you can do loads of stuff. Some of you will remember back, I don't know if you can remember when Jill Shields preached this prophetic message where she spoke about a storeroom of God's gifts. Do you remember that? Those of you who weren't here, let me just share that. She saw, as she was preaching, she, she saw this storehouse in heaven and it was like a warehouse with shelves and it was stacked full of amazing gifts, gifts of healing and miracles and provision, all those things, and they're all collecting dust because nobody came and collected them. People thought, I'm not worthy to have that, and God said, well, it's just there. It's available for you. I remember years ago, a guy saying to a, a, a man of God, saying, how do I get the gift of, gift of healing? And he said, oh, it's quite easy. You just ask God what you do. Paul says we can ask for gifts. Over the years I've asked God for a prophetic gift and I have a prophetic gift. I'm now saying to God, you know what, I want um, a gift of healing. One of the ones I've prayed the most because I've been involved in leadership is the gift of discerning of spirits. Why do I ask for that gift? Because I meet a load of people who are not telling me the truth and I want to know. And over the years, we've had strangers walk through the door and they haven't got to our second doors. And in me, my spirit is saying, be very careful here, Simon. It's the gift of discerning the spirits. It's not that I have some innate power. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. And here's the other thing. So he then said, well, if I ask God for a gift, how do I know I've got it? He says, it's really simple. Start praying for people. Wouldn't that be good? Maybe we should do that one Sunday. We say, look, what we'll do is we'll get some of the sick people out there and we want everybody to lay hands and pray for them to be healed and we'll see who's got the gift of healing. I believe God wants to, you know, I know some will say, oh, that seems a bit sacrilege. You know, that's how easy it should be. Peter would just walk along and his shadow did it. Paul 
They said, hey, Paul, here's a handkerchief. Can you pray in the name of Jesus? There you go. And wherever that handkerchief went, people got healed. Smith Wigglesworth, who lived in the 1900s, whenever he went and stayed in somebody's house, whatever bed he slept in, whoever slept in it afterwards got saved. They were hit by the power of God because the man of God had been there. And I want to encourage you, read through 1 Corinthians, look at those gifts and ask him, which one do you want? I mean, we need, we need the gift of healing, don't we? I mean, we desperately need it. So ask God. There are so many gifts that are available. And I want you to picture this warehouse that's got all of this stuff in there. And God says, why is nobody coming to take it? It's all done by faith. Saying, Lord, I thank you for that. John Wimber. He's passed away, sadly. John Wimber wrote a book called Power Evangelism. He had a phenomenal healing gift. But when you read about his life, he says, the first thousand people didn't get healed and many of them died. But he kept going. He prayed for over a thousand people before he saw, because he was determined he was going to have that gift. And even though he saw so many people healed in the end of his life, he ended up in a wheelchair, but he said, but God still gave me power. And so it's just about trusting in God. And I, I think what a glorious church we are. And can you imagine, every week we're this, we would be doubled by the end of this year if people started to get healed, if the prophetic words were given and stuff. And we want the kids to see it as well, say, hey, I'm in for that. Because I tell you, if we say to kids, if I, if I said to you, okay, somebody come and lay hands on someone who's sick, would be really reticent. If I went next door and said it to kids, they'd all come straight away, gather around and start doing it. Well, let's do it. And so I want to really encourage you this morning. God has great things in store for Hope Church. He's not brought us, you know we're over 90 years old. He's not brought us here as a church for us to get old and diminish. There are new generations that need to come through. And we have a privilege of saying, Lord, use me. Because I tell you what, when we get to heaven, we can't use those things because they will no longer be relevant. We don't need the gift of healing in heaven because there's no sickness. But we need it now. And so I want to encourage you today, if anything else, start to say, God, read through. Read through 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 14 or Romans 12 that talk about spiritual gifts and look through and see which one stands out to you. Say, oh, I'd like that, you know. And start asking the Lord about it. Say, Lord, I want that gift. And keep asking until all of a sudden there is a thing, you know what, I'm going to launch out. And if you want to exercise your gift, we're here on a Sunday. If you come and say, Simon, I'd like to pray for people who are sick, man, I will do it every Sunday. Say, if you're sick, come forward, we've got some folks who are going to pray with you. That would be amazing. Let's pray.